owe your family and yourself. Home, home, homework. Homework, it's an obligation you owe your family and yourself. Hey, everybody. It's Joe. I'm still sick with Adam, who's not sick, but he's tired from mowing his lawn for the last three days. Uh, It is time for the At Odds with Wrestling Patreon homework show, uh, this time talking about Roadhouse, which is about as tangentially a wrestling movie as you possibly could get. But far be it from me uh, to argue with watching something with Terry Funk in it. Hell yeah. Uh, I assign this predominantly because Terry Funk is in it, and obviously we're we're still honoring Terry Funk's memory in any way we can. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I couldn't get to the mutant time. I'm so sorry. You're fine. Completely uh, unprofessional. Yeah, it's it's the Patreon. People get an uncut, uncooked, uncensored version of the show. Um, but also because I was like, I haven't seen this in 30 years, and I kind of want to rewatch it, you know? So um, also, we'll, we'll get into that. And yes, I, I'm in the same camp as you, where I probably have not watched this movie in about 10 years. But follow-ups to the main show, and it pays to be a Patreon to get this sort of thing. So I said I was going to message Mantis about uh, cutting everyone's time. Yeah. And he replied back to me, and he said, well, I can't give an eight-man tag seven minutes. And I, <laughs> and I said, put eight to ten on the sheet, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said that out of the eight matches on the show, maybe two are going to go over ten. And I said, that's too many. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he also called Jerry of Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium a Melvin. Who <laughs> are you? That Taven? <laughs> so you get that sort of thing. And again, as we record, um, you know, our, our friends at AIW are having... Um, Jay lit this weekend they've had two announced cancellations so far uh shaw mason uh, i think was hurt uh, uh the appendectomy yeah and um psychosis had to pull off it was a lot and again i didn't listen to the card is going to change this week um but i know there's one more maybe that thorn hasn't announced yet for saturday um what? Yeah, I, I listened to the pod and uh, there was only the two. The first oh, he, two. D- he did mention those on the pod this week. Uh, he was still holding out hope on psychosis, but it wasn't looking good. OK. Uh, and obviously, Shaw Mason had already had his kerfuffle. Uh, yeah. Nothing else as of the podcast, you know? Yeah. But the psychosis one was rough because it was just like this thing where um, psychosis kept telling him, like, I don't know, my visa sorted out. But don't buy my plane ticket yet. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. <laughs> and he waited till the last minute. But they did announce Violent J being there for night one. Okay. Uh, Violent J not wrestling. Maybe what in else? the corner of JB. His uh, well, he should be there to support the Juggalo Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. But I will say, if you are going to the show this weekend... And maybe you haven't bought your tickets or maybe you bought GA. There still might be time to upgrade those to the premium floor seatings. Trust me. Oh, I'll ask you off the air. Yes, sir. Um, so Roadhouse. Yes. Uh, Roadhouse is and was a staple 
of TBS programming. I would put this in the top 10 of things that were in heavy rotation up to a certain point on TBS alongside reruns of Mama's Family, <laughs> reruns of the Andy Griffith show, um, and reruns of Saved by the Bell. All right. I, I don't think I ever watched this on television because my mom liked Patrick Swayze. You know, so I used to buy her the VHSs of any yes. Patrick Swayze movie back in the day. And I remember liking this and liking Next of Kin and hating everything else. Like I hated Ghost and I hated like what uh, I didn't like uh, Point Break, but I, I loved this and Next of Kin back in the day. I I never saw Dirty Dancing. Eh, Dirty I Dancing ain't bad. Yeah, I saw this, of course. I like Ghost. Ghost is good, you know. Uh-huh. Um, if you're going to watch, like, a romantic-type movie, you know, you you could do much worse. Yeah. Um, Next of Kin, I kind of remember, and I think Point Break, it was one of those things where I, I, I put Point Break more as, like, a Keanu movie than a, yeah. than a Swayze movie. Yeah, because Swayze's his popularity is a little bit faded by then, so he's the, he's the bad guy slash supporting character, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's on this, the poster, but he's not the lead. Yeah, this is height of powers, Patrick Swayze. Right oh, now. forget about it. Like, I don't think you can more... And Okay, so let's get this out of the way, okay? Uh, this movie rocks. Yeah. This movie's awesome. Is this movie good? No. But I can't imagine anyone watching this movie and just not smiling the entire time. Oh, yeah. There's so much stuff that you have to take. You have to suspend so much disbelief, but it just seems so natural in an 80s action movie. You know, okay. and we'll get into it as we go. But so I, I is, love this. Movie. Does this movie more encapsulate a person at the absolute height of their powers? And at the same time, being maybe the most 80s movie and somehow still being Kind of timeless. Yeah. I think, uh, like, there's nothing really that makes it, like, seem old. You know, like, there, it, there's not like, oh, no, if only we had a way that we could talk to this person over towers of cell phones. You know, like, there's nothing like that. But the thing that makes this seem the most 80s is, like, the stereotypical evil 80s businessman and his henchmen. Like, that's see- something you don't see that anymore, you know? Now, see, for me, the thing that makes this the most 80s is the hair and the clothes of every woman in the movie. Like, see, you can pinpoint the week this movie was filmed by the hairstyles and the clothes that everyone is wearing in this. Yeah, it is very, uh, like, it screams, like, middle of the 80s, even though the movie came out in 89, you know? Right. And I'll also say this. uh, You know, we mentioned this on the main show. I thought Terry Funk was in this movie less. Yeah, and I and, thought he was in it more. Right. And I thought there was a lot more titties in this movie than there was. Uh, there was a decent amount of boobs. I thought there was way more. You have the skinny dipping party. There's okay. There. There's the bouncer or bartender that Dalton fires when he, uh, he's banging there in like the closet when he's on right. break. Uh, you have the main hot doctor. You see hers briefly. Briefly? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's And three... the wet G-string contest. Oh, yeah, the wet 
G-string contest. Plus, you have the girl who's like the the stripper girlfriend of the evil uh, businessman who goes. She goes up on stage and dances. You see briefly some boob there. And Adam, what? I will say yet again, that's five boob scenes. I thought there was more. And okay, five boob scenes. Two of them are brief, where you get like a hint, right? Sure. I mean, that's all you needed back in the day. Ah. <laughs> You knew where those were. You had the pause button, you know. <laughs> now, you mentioned the scene with the one uh, guy who's uh, banging the stripper chick in the break room. Yeah. Uh, that scene where Patrick Swayze walks in on them doing their whatever. And he's saying to her, you're going to be my regular Saturday night thing. That scene and that line was burned in a 13-year-old Mai's memory. <laughs> uh, there are lines, and we'll get to when we get to it, but there are a couple lines from this movie that are very, like, I quote them often, and I know they're from Roadhouse, but there's also lines that I have been quoting for years that I did not realize came from Roadhouse, if that uh, makes sense. So that's the other thing. Because this movie's good, like, we're not going to sit here and do, like, a line-by-line narrative of it. Like, we might get into it. But it's more or less you can be like, hey, remember this part? That was awesome. (laughs) Hey, remember that part? That was awesome. I love in this movie that they give the characters, um, like, a bunch of quips to say. And all of them are bad. None of them land. Nobody sells them. And they just keep moving. (laughs) Can you give an example? Oh, my God. I, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. But, like, especially, like, when Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott are together. And they make some sort of, like, they're, like, taking out the trash at the bar. Like, beating up the guys or whatever. It's like, oh, it looked like you had this at hand. As he, like, grabs the guy the nuts or something right? Like that. You know? Uh, yeah. It's a bunch of shit like that where it's, like, <laughs> bad puns that don't land. Nobody sells them. But they're like, we're going to put 20 of them in the movie. Fuck it. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, the pro- the thing is, like, Patrick Swayze and later on Sam Elliott are just so goddamn cool that yes. even if they have a lame line, you're just like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like, and you mentioned the hair. And obviously, Patrick Swayze has very 80s, like, f- fluffy mulleted hair. And Kevin mentions this in his write-up, MassLibrary.com, is Sam Elliott has the most beautiful hair on the planet, and it's very ahead of its time. Like, if this was filmed in 87, 88, his hair has no business being that great at that time. Like, he has early 90s grunge hair about four years too early. You know, like, he's a trendsetter. And I'll even say this. As we're saying, this is... Uh, Patrick Swayze, height of his powers, right? 10 yeah. plus, right? Sure, uh-huh. This is Sam Elliott with the grunge hair trendsetter. He's not even at his full powers because he just has a five o'clock shadow. He doesn't have the famous Sam Elliott mustache. I would bet they made him shave off the Sam Elliott mustache so he wouldn't overshadow Patrick Swayze. Yeah, and they were like, can you, uh, like, he has that famous, like, like gravelly or raspy voice, but, like, has the draw to it. They're like, Sam, can you possibly talk less sexy for us? You know, like, can you get rid of the accent or the the twang to your voice? You know, because just you talking is going to make people melt, and we need to save that for Swayze, you know? 
so I also want to mention this, and we'll we'll get into more. Uh, so, uh, they're they're taking the delivery at the Double Deuce. Terry Funk is now with the evil henchmen. Yeah, and a lot they of come, henchmen in this. I love it. Like a lot of like recognizable henchmen and with henchmen with gimmicks. And stuff. You know, you know what? And I'm gonna save it for the end. If there's one flaw to the movie, there's only one flaw to the movie, and I'm gonna bring it up at the end of the thing. And this is what. This is what only gives this movie six and a half stars at the Tokyo Dome, not seven. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so they're, they're they're on the loading dock. They're getting the booze from out of town because uh, Ben Gazar, whatever the fuck his name is in the movie, who cares? Uh, he's cut off the liquor supply to the double deuce because Patrick Swayze won't work from. Listen, his name's Dalton, but we're going to call him Patrick Swayze, okay? Yeah. Uh, so Terry Funk and the goons show up and they're beaten up. Uh, Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott shows up and they're like, oh, where's Patrick Swayze? They're like, oh, he's out back. So he goes out back. And as soon as Pat and Sam Elliott's just like, huh, observing his friend getting the shit kicked out of him for a couple seconds. And Terry Funk goes, mind your own business, grandpa, or some shit like that. Uh, At the time of the filming of that movie, Terry Funk was two weeks older than Sam Elliott. They're both born in the same year. Their birthday is separated by literally two weeks. So for Terry Funk to be like, get out of here, Grandpa, was fantastic. Well, well, the line was probably written for, like, somebody, like, just generic person number A, and they assumed that that actor would, would be, like, younger than Sam Elliott. And sure. they just didn't bother to change it with the, you know, when they cast Terry Funk, you know? Right. Um. So also, you know, obviously Patrick Swayze is a badass. Um, and if you're not aware of what the movie Roadhouse is, it takes place during a time where people, where there's famous bouncers across the world yeah, and people like, know them from sight. And yeah. there's a, there's a delineation between bouncers and coolers. Coolers are the people that can dissolve the situations before they get out of hand, but are also literal killing machines as well. And Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott are Number one and two, the most famous coolers in the world. Yeah, they're like their reputation is known like at every bar everywhere. Like any place that has bouncers, like they subscribe to like Bouncer Monthly. <laughs> and like when the rankings, when the Bouncer like Illustrated comes out, like they're number one and two in the rankings all the time. <laughs> I tweeted this out a while ago, but we mentioned it on the at the the Longbox Heroes Patreon in the previewing the past. There's a modeling a model kit enthusiast um, magazine that come that comes out that's solicited in previews. That's called like Glue Sniffers Illustrated. <laughs> yep. So I wonder what the catchy name of the Bouncer Cooler magazine would be. Oh, Bouncer get back to us. Leave a comment on the Patreon or in the Discord. Of what the name of, and you just can't say Bouncer's Illustrated or whatever. Yeah. No, it has to have a catchy name. Yeah, I started saying Bouncer Buddies, but that's too much like a Todd thing. I don't want to no, do that. No. Yeah, that's bad. Um, yeah, I always thought that cooler, even though cooler, the word cooler, you would think that's like, oh, it's their job to diffuse it. I got the vibe that it's like, all right, the bouncers are the ones that try to like, like diffuse the situation, try to escort the person out. But then when the person gets like violent, pops out a knife or something. Uh, that's when Patrick Swayze needs to come in and literally drive the guy's face through a table. You know, like when you need somebody to come in and just be a badass, that's what the cooler does. I don't know. 
Well, well, that's the thing. Yeah. So I think Patrick Swayze had like he definitely was, um, like the guy who tried to like I said tried to def- defuse the situation. Always, he he had the situation of like he had his uh, what were the three rules? It was I never have... underestimate your opponent. Yep, take, take it, outside. it outside and, and be, be nice. nice until it's time to not be nice. Right. Just so fucking cool. <laughs> now, I also want to point out, like, I don't know what version I had, but when I look on, like, IMDb and stuff, it claims this movie is only 95 minutes long. The version the version I watched was, like, maybe, like, 10 minutes longer? Um, I must have some I, sort of weird uncut version. I watched it uh, as a stream on the Fire Stick on, like, some shady, like, torrent site. Okay. And it was... I want to say just under two hours with the credits. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. maybe so we like, got the full, we got the full roadhouse experience. Yeah. Like they threw in some extra boobs or something. Well, one could only hope, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I want to say, so um, you go to like, so uh, Patrick Swayze at the start of the movie is working at the fancy club where people are paying with hundreds gold cards doing yep. blow all that sort of stuff and then when we catch up with sam elliott later on he's working at like the seediest strip club in the world where it's wet g-string night you know yeah, yeah. so again there's a there's a big delineation of where number one cooler and number two cooler gets to work well you can also look at it like because i also believe that like sam elliott might be the number one because that's what patrick swayze says but like the, the guy who's trying to hire Swayze is like, well, no, he's too old. You know, that's why I want you. It could be that you're seeing Patrick Swayze at a place that he is fully fixed and rehabilitated where you're seeing Sam Elliott just starting a project somewhere. You know, like that's why Dalton Patrick Swayze is willing to leave the fancy place he's at at the very beginning because he's like, all right, my work here is done. I've built up a team. I've uh, I've built a culture. Uh, you know, they don't need me anymore. Where like Sam Elliott might have that might have been his first week on the job at that place. You know, it's not as shady as the as what is it the double deuce, but like it does, he's like, all right, I, I'm maybe. Like, I got six months left here before it's as, as respectable as the place Swayze's leaving. Okay, I gotcha. In my roadhouse lore, that's how I do it. <laughs> and that's the thing. This is a movie that I think a lot of people consider just like, oh, dumb fights and Patrick Swayze or whatever it is. But they do a really good job of, like, building a lore, introducing characters in a way that most movies I think can learn from. Yeah. Like even when, like I mentioned that, uh, Frank Tillman's the name of the guy that ran the double deuce. He's going for to hire Dalton and Dalton's like, no, you need Wade Garrett, which is Sam Elliott. And he has the throwaway line. No, Wade Garrett's too old. I want you. And then you don't see Sam Elliott slash Wade Garrett or hear about him until like a half hour, hour later. And it's like, oh, okay, they mentioned them earlier. You know, it was very subtly slid in there, you know? Right, but then, like, even when Dalton comes to town, he goes and he rents the room from the farmer. Yeah, and then... Uh, in- Emmett, who I fucking love. I love okay. Emmett. Like, I hate all hillbillies, but I love Emmett. You know? So we're introduced to Emmett, and we get a little bit of Emmett's backstory. But we don't get a ton of his backstory. We get just enough so when they fuck up his place, we care. 
Yep. Then we're introduced to the guy who owns like the auto parts or the hardware goods store, right? Yeah, he says, don't marry an ugly woman. It'll drain you of your energy. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. You don't need like, oh, we got to give this character like a 15, 20 minute backstory. You absolutely do not. You have our lead. You have your lead character interact with them. You have one or two bits about the character. You give the character one memorable line and then you could kill them or her and horribly whatever. Right. Yeah. Or even the guy who ran the car dealership. Right. You know, like he was just introduced as like a townsfolk. And then you see like, and I have my notes that like one of the most stereotypical eighties thing is that like earlier in the movie, the henchmen are just driving around fucking Bigfoot. Like it's their Sunday car. Yeah, fucking, <laughs> fucking Bigfoot is in there. Now, granted, I just want to say, I, I didn't watch the credits. I don't know if it was credited as Bigfoot. It was probably not, you know, because it didn't have the logo, but. But what well, I was going to okay. say before, before you that finish. Was absolutely Bigfoot. And they just covered up the logos. Okay. But what I'm getting at is when they had Bigfoot, because there's no legal repercussions to anything in this movie, I'm sure we'll get into that. When it drives through the car dealership and just crushes all the cars, like you felt bad for the guy that owned the car dealership, you know? I have to, I have to watch the credits here. <laughs> pay no, pay no, pay me no mind. I have to see if the uh, Bob Chandler family is thanked at the end for allowing them to use Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, Bob Chandler, the, the family that owns and has kept Bigfoot in their family for all these years. Um, side note, because I used to be a monster truck guy because my kid was into monster trucks. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if you're aware of the monster truck um, wars. <laughs> I'm not. Um so, I used to watch the Bigfoot cartoon when I was a kid. But right, not. so Bigfoot was like the lone holdout, and that's when they created Gravedigger as like the focal point of those things, right? Yeah, that was like, uh, you know, like a, I was going to say, like, you know, Hogan's asking for too much, so we got to bring up Brett, you know? Right. So the Monster Jam stuff becomes like this huge success within the last like five or six years. So Hot Wheels had the licensing to do the toys. And then Spin Masters, I don't know if um, Monster Jam wanted too much money. I don't know how it came to, but Spin Masters now has the license for the Monster Jam toys. So Hot Wheels did their own, like, oh, kind of looks like the ones that we had, but they're named slightly different, you know? Yeah. Um, So then Hot Wheels start doing their own touring brand of the Monster Truck shows. And they were able to get Bigfoot on board to do their Monster Truck touring show. Okay, so they just basically created a bunch of jobber cars and then got one big name and Bigfoot. And they're like, yeah. hey, we can make toys, so we, we can, we're our own licensee. Yep. And in the credits, it's Big Boot, not Bigfoot. So oh. it's def- I'm sad that it's not actually Bigfoot. But again, Bigfoot wouldn't sully himself <laughs> to be in a movie like this. He should have, though. <laughs> he would want a, a leading role. He wouldn't want to be the henchman's vehicle. He'd want to be Dalton's vehicle. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to mention, um, what's the Frank Tillman when he shows up when Dalton's first there? Um, there's the little scene with him where he's cleaning up some of the graffito tag on the wall by the payphone. Yeah, uh, it says for, uh, he changed it into Buick. Right, it says for a great fuck call, and he turned fuck into Buick. Uh, but he overlooks directly to the left of it, F slurs go home. Uh now, I, luckily, you know what? I don't have it in my notes, but I actually had 
was like, oh, surprisingly, there's not a ton of offensive like stuff like that doesn't I don't want to say like uh, over the top, like F slur or whatever. So I'll but I'll say this. I didn't see that graffiti, though. Having watched Roadhouse and Back to the Future within the last seven days. There's more homophobia and racism in Back to the Future than there is in Roadhouse. Well, it's folksy racism in Back to the Future. Oh, sure. (laughs) You know, like Goldie becoming the mayor, you know? (laughs) Uh, Anyways, I don't know where you want to go on this because I have a million things I want to talk about, but I'll follow your lead. Um, I'm I'm good. Oh, so another thing that I like in an homage to... um, the Blues Brothers movies where the double deuce house band is playing behind the chicken wire because things get so rowdy and people are throwing shit at them all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, and you know, things are getting better at the double deuce when they take down the chicken wire. Yeah. Cause you saw like there was an evolution of the place. Cause they take down the chicken wire and things are a little bit cleaner. That's like version 2.0. And then eventually you get like the fully renovated one, you know? At the end, it still looks very like Saved by the Bell, the Max, you know, with like all the neon and bright colors on the outside. Oh, and I'll also say, so Dalton's first day there, he's not officially on the job, but he's there to kind of survey the survey the deal. Um, there's a bit, there's a central casting big lug who is selling free squeezes or kisses of his girlfriend's breasts for twenty dollars. Yep. And a guy squeezes a little bit too long before he lets them know he doesn't have the $20. And this is our first barroom brawl. And I will say this, the choreography on all the multiple person fights in these are so slapstick and over the top. I love them. Yeah. I, I also love the piss poor editing that anytime somebody gets their nose busted open because of the editing, their nose is busted open before they get hit in the nose to bust open their nose. Uh, I like in this fight scene uh, that Terry Funk is the one competent bouncer. You know, he's the one shit kicker, but he only loses his job because Dalton basically says that he wouldn't have the disp- like the temperament to, to be nice, basically. Uh, but like he was the one guy out of all the bouncers that like seemed like he can handle himself. And you have the classic shot from the trailer. Speaking of Patrick Swayze just being so goddamn cool during that bar fight where he's just kind of leaned against the pole drinking his coffee or whatever. And somebody throws a beer bottle and it shatters like an inch away from his face. He just does that subtle little, like I'm not ducking or anything like that. Just a little nod to the right, you know, just like, it's so casual that he's, he's, it's coming at him in slow motion, you know? Oh, and another thing, you know, the waitress with the bangs. Yeah. Like she went on to sing later and she was trying to, you could tell she had a thing for Patrick Swayze. So she, and I was, I was doing research on this. Apparently she had like a whole subplot in the movie that was cut out. Like, uh, is there footage? Because I would watch like a three-hour version of this movie. (laughs) And like I said, I see 95 minutes. The version I watched was an hour 54 with credits, right? Yeah. So I at least watched a 20-minute longer version than the standard version that you could find elsewhere. I I want the version with the waitress's subplot put back in. Yeah. I want a a freaking Sam Elliott prequel movie. But okay, so who would play Sam Elliott? today no one's cool enough yeah that that's the problem 
Like, uh, and I'm I, sure Ed or someone will be like, oh, this boy who plays someone on Riverdale or <laughs> one of the members of Twice or some shit like that, right? Yeah. And I, there's actually, because I was going to bring this up because I went on IMDb um, and typed in Roadhouse and there is, it, apparently it's been in development or in the making for like five years now, but there's a Jake Gyllenhaal remake of Roadhouse coming out. No, thank you. Yeah, because when I think cool, like I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, I, I was don't know. it. I, not that he's you know, he's fine, but like, uh, what's the guy who was in Drive? Uh, and uh, La La Land. Oh Jesus fucking Christ! Put me on the spot here. Oh. Um, I know the guy you're thinking of. I can't think of his name right now. I'm googling. I'm I'm imdibbing La La Land. Uh, Ryan Gosling. Like that's a no. That's somebody who's more like the the equivalent of Patrick Swayze. Like Ryan Gosling, height of powers is very much Patrick Swayze, height of powers. You know, as far as like being able to deliver in an action movie, but also the women love him and like think he's irresistible. I don't think Gyllenhaal has either of those qualities. You know, right. But that's what I was just noticing is like, holy shit, they're they're remaking it. And I clicked on it and it was like, here's pictures from the set or whatever. But it also said it was like from 2018, but it also said it's not out yet. So maybe it just never got made, you know? So I also want to talk about two other recurring bits in the movie. Uh, one, how everyone says that they thought he'd be taller. Yeah, that's a good little rib. <laughs> um, and the fact that so Patrick Swayze, when he gets the when he leaves the fancy job and he goes to uh, Kansas City for the double deuce, he just gives the car that he's driving at that time to like the get the, the, the garage attendant and he pulls out in the nice fancy BMW, which well, we that assume... wasn't a garage attendant. That was just like a homeless dude laying there. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, so then he goes and buys the, sh- the like the shitty car. And they do the bit where at the end of every night, his car is trashed. He goes and fixes it up and brings it back the next day. And then his car is just repeatedly more trashed in more ways. And in a comedy, this would have been done with like musical stings and over the top, whatever. Very clearly, this was supposed to be played for laughs. But the fact that there's not like the musical stings and everything else like that, these were jokes that landed. See, I didn't necessarily think that that was meant to be a joke. I thought that was a very practical thing that, A, he has a nice car, and obviously he's not going to drive his beater car uh, that he uses for work and his nice car from wherever he was at the like when he left the job to Kansas City. Um, it's like, okay, I can't take both of them, so this shitty car I paid 500 bucks for, here you go, buddy, just take it. Now I'm going to take my nice car and I'm going to go to uh, the, the Double Deuce, and now I need a piece of shit car because I know it's going to get fucked up every night by either employees that hate me or clients that I toss out, and it's like, okay, it got trashed, All right, I need to fix it just enough, you know, fix the tires you know, if somebody cuts my brakes or some shit, I need to make it so it's just good enough to get me from my apartment to the bar and back. <laughs> like, I didn't necessarily think that that was a comedy thing. Like, it's a very smart thing. Because if you're going to start shit and you're at a shitty bar, you're not going to drive your nice, what was it, like an Infinity or something like that. It was a BMW. But BMW. what I'm saying is, though, like, so he had he had enough money that he could have, there was one thing 
that he buys the piece of shit car, they trash it. He could have went to that guy's place and just bought another piece of shit car. Maybe but he the, likes fixing cars, and that okay, he would learn fact, in an extended version in this movie. I feel as though the fact that he was fixing up the same piece of shit car and the same piece of shit car was getting trashed every night was supposed to be a bit. Okay. No, I didn't see it that way. Yeah. Well, that's just the way my mind works. Um, so in addition to cleaning up the patrons at the bar, Patrick Swayze is also cleaning up the other employees at the bar where he catches Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite stealing from the till. Yeah. And fires him. But then we find out that he's friends with. Or he is the nephew of evil rich guy. He's the nephew of Ben Gazzara. Yeah. So we have we have no choice, even though he's stealing from us because he's the nephew of the bad guy. We have no choice. But that's okay because Patrick Swayze just beats the shit out of him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. By firing all of these people from the double deuce and beating up all of these people, he's just helping Ben Gazzara build a heavier army of rejected goons, right? Yeah, he's building, uh, he's disenfranchising them and they're going to the, the goons over there for work and a common enemy and all that. And I was keeping track of it and I was hoping that it would happen more times, but there's only two times in the course of this movie where Patrick Swayze is either slashed or stabbed and he no-sells it, right? <laughs> yeah. In the, the first... like in the middle of battle, he doesn't even acknowledge that he was like slashed in the arm or slashed in the side, but then like later, especially the one that's in the side after the fight with uh, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, and he goes get stitched up by Hot Doctor. Like, it's a gaping wound, right? Yeah, and she's stapling it. And I feel like there's a little bit of him kayfaving her because he's like, I don't feel pain. Or, or he says, pain doesn't hurt, right? And she staples him and he winces. And then she looks up and he straight faces. So that's like him, like, a little bit, like, giving a peek behind the curtain that it's like, I say cool things, but, like, yeah, that still fucking hurt, you know? And I think another fun bit when he goes to when he goes to the hospital, he meets up with Hot Doctor, is that he travels with his medical records and history. Yeah, just to make it easier. <laughs> I, like, while that was a great one-off gag, I felt as though that could, like, you could have mined more from that. Yeah. Like, the oh. bad guys get their hands on it or something. See, or I think this, then it might even have been there. They, there needs to be, like, a... A USA level uh, or like something like that type of network, uh, FX level, uh, Roadhouse TV series. Where like, like every scene in this movie is expanded out to be a 44 minute episode of TV. I'm with that. Yeah. And like the first season is basically like him going to the, 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 the double deuce. But like you maybe get to the point where the chicken wire comes down on the stage by the end of the first season. I would say that's your mid, like, let's say it's a 13, it's a 13 episode late night. So you could swear and show some boobs. Yeah. Like FX style show, 10 o'clock, 13 episodes at the end of episode six or seven, it ends with them taking the chicken wire down. Yeah. And then you have like the script going one of two ways. We're like, okay, did we get picked up for a second season or not? Like, obviously if we don't get picked up for a second season, Dalton just cleans up town and beats the bad guy. Maybe if we get picked up for a second season, we end it with the bad guy blowing up the double deuce. 
Yeah, or like, and just like you had to change, like they changed up little things on Walking Dead because obviously you know the source material, right? Yeah. Right? They changed up things on Preacher or whatever. Like, depending on where, you, if we're getting canceled or whatever, do we kill Sam Elliott or do we have Sam Elliott join the bad guys? Like, there's got to be a swerve, you know? Or we tease that, like, we don't find out if he's dead or not. Yeah. Yeah, he's alive. He's fine after the the stabbing at the end. Like you know? we we end the episode thinking Sam Elliott's dead, or we end the season thinking Sam Elliott's dead. But depending on if we got picked up, like season two, he comes back. Oh, he was fine, right? Yeah. Well, you have Hot Doctor there that could have been there to save him. You know, okay, it shows up. You know, let's talk about Hot Doctor for a second, okay? Okay. So this is one of the biggest problems that I have with the movie. This doesn't take away from its star rating. So. <laughs> Patrick Swayze is introduced to Hot Doctor, and when he meets Hot Doctor, she has her hair up in like a French braid, and she's wearing glasses. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's how you disguise a hot lady into like, in according to movies. You know? Okay, so as a kid, and even t- t- watching it as a thirty or forty-six year old man, however the fuck old I am, right? Uh-huh. When she then shows up later at the Double Deuce, and she's all eighties up, and I'm like, is this a different person than the Hot Doctor? Because they mostly, like, even on IMDb, she's credited as Doc. Okay. You know what I mean? So, like, as a kid, I'm like, is this a different person? And then watching it today, I'm like, this is the Doctor, right? Like, I had to do a double take on it. Well, so- I'll tell you, as as somebody who might have an unhealthy obsession with Miss Hancock, I do think the hair up slash glasses combo is timeless. And it is a definitely, you could put that look in any era where they have glasses invented and it would look appropriate, you know, whether it's the seventies, the sixties, the fifties, whatever. Uh, but like, yes, like you said, she takes the hair down and it's like, okay, we know the week that this was filmed. Okay. Right. So that's the thing. She looks so drastically different when she shows up at the double deuce the first time. And then there's a scene later where Patrick Sweezy goes to the hospital and they're like, Oh, where's hot doctor. And it's like, Oh, she's back there looking at some x-rays. And she's back there looking at the x-rays with her big giant 80s hair, but she has her glasses on. And I'm like, (laughs) today she decides not to do the French braid? Hair inconsistencies. No wig (laughs) issues in this this movie, but hair inconsistencies with Hot Doctor. Yeah. And can I talk, well, consistencies, you want something that's actually consistent? The fact that Dalton is constantly ripping heaters and looks so goddamn cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, he's in peak physical performance. Form. He yeah. does martial arts. He does kata. He does yoga. But I so and I know this as a fact. Okay. Um. And again, R.I.P. Patrick Swayze. Um. He had it in his contract for all of his movies that he was allowed to smoke. That's how addicted to smoking he was. <laughs> he was like, the, there's a scene where the girl with the bang shows up and brings him breakfast. And he's just like laying, he's naked. They get the, the, the Patrick Swayze ass shot. And he just stands up and just immediately rips a heater. <laughs> right. This is awesome. <laughs> he was a dick. That's what addiction does to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but can we talk about the just the stereotypical 80s goons? Like we mentioned uh the monster truck, which is just completely like out like out there. Uh but then you get the like the fat one that wears like the, the trucker hat that says like caterpillar like on it, and you ha you know who the most lethal of the goons is because he's the one who's like quiet and he has the earring. And he's got the best tan of everyone. Yeah. 
Um, so, okay. Can we get into... So this is my only qualm with the movie. If I have any qualm with the movie, this is what robs it that half a star, okay? Okay. I long for a period of time in the 80s into the early 90s was prime for this in all forms of en entertainment, Adam. If you were a fat guy, that meant you were also strong, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, he survives the, the mauling from the bear. I thought he was dead there. Then okay. The good bit at the end. The evil bouncers had a fat guy. The good bouncers had a fat guy. At no point did we get a face-off between the two fat guys. Oh, that's true. If we got a face-off, if we got a face-off, a battle between the two fat guys, this might be the perfect movie. Like, all right, they're fighting in the bar and they literally throw each other through walls, like just sheetrock walls, but it's like, that's how strong they are. Or they're in the bathroom and you have the thing where it's like all the dividers between the urinals or whatever are getting broken down. Like that, that, that they're able to like power through things in their fight. Like that would have been, that would have been perfect. Or, you know? or like you'll get a bit where like two regular size guys are brawling, you know? Uh -huh. And they'll brawl toward like a doorway and they'll break the door frame because it's the two fat guys. They brawl through the double doors of the double deuce and they brawl break through those. You know, yeah. it yeah. has to be something that only these two fat guys could do. <laughs> yeah. All right. I could see that. We'll save that for the series, you know. Uh. And, and, oh, and so that and that's another thing. I'll just say this as well. So, you know, watching a lot of 80 move, 80s movies, the idea of what was fat in the 80s and in the early 90s is very different what the idea of fat actually is today. Mm -hmm. Like, there'd be a guy in a, in a, in like a Hollywood movie who weighs like 195 pounds, and they're like, what's your problem, Tubby, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, this movie, this was two fat fucks. <laughs> like, these were two boys that were tipping the scales at 300 pounds plus. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially the, the baby face one. He was huge. Yeah, these you know? these were shoot fat fucks. <laughs> Can we talk about the subplot that's very, it's whispered about through a lot of the movie. It, it takes until we get to Sam Elliott and Patrick Swayze in the diner. Ah, uh, yes. Dalton killed a guy. And like, it was just a rumor that was whispered. Like, I heard he killed a guy, didn't he? And it got to the point where it was Sam Elliott that said, you know, he's like, you can't keep like dwelling on that. If a man pulls a gun on you, you got to put him down. You know? That's right. When you're fighting a person, you're, you're just trying to incapacitate them. You're trying to subdue them. You're trying to win the fight. But once a gun is pulled, that means a line has been crossed. Yeah. And that leads to the final battle between uh, Dalton and the main evil goon, you know, which Jimmy. is just, okay. Uh, he had just burned down Emmett's house, you know, and I mentioned you love Emmett by this point. He's just so cool. And then he just rides away. Was it a dirt bike, which is also a very 80s thing? It's like a, a three-wheeler, not even a quad, a three-wheeler. Yeah. <laughs> and Dalton catches him on foot because, you know, of course he does. And then they have the fight, which is just your typical karate kick fight. And I guess main goon pulls a gun on him at the end. And that's when Dalton like fucking rips his throat out. Because so that's cool. the line you can't cross. Once a gun comes into play, you have to murder the person. No ifs, ands, <laughs> yeah. or buts. You have and to hot doctor sees jugular. him do this, yeah. right? And, and that's a bridge too far for her. And isn't there a weird subplot where 
the villain Ben Gazzara, even though he has a wife that he beats, that he had the hots for Hot Doctor, or him and Hot Doctor were together, it's a little unclear. And isn't the guy who runs the auto parts store, like, isn't he related to Hot Doctor as well? He, the auto parts guy is the uncle of Hot Doctor. Right, everyone's somebody's uncle or nephew in this town. Yeah. <laughs> um, But then, like, just Patrick Swayze, like, he grabs the dead goon and starts dragging him across the river, yelling out at the guy, like, a really cool scene. But uh, also, it's like, I get the fact that evil rich guy is untouchable. You know, he's able to cause whatever chaos he wants because he's so rich and he bought the town, he owns the sheriff, all that stuff. But like when once Patrick Swayze kills the goon, like wouldn't the rich evil guy, hey, you know what would solve all of my problems? If I called the sheriff who, who basically works for me and say, hey, this guy just killed one of my employees, problem would be solved. So I think at that point, there's a difference between manipulative villainy, which is like up to this point, okay, the worst thing that Ben Gazzara did was fly his helicopter a little bit too low on Emmett's farm, okay? Well, well, by this point, by the point of the Dalton versus Goon to the death fight, uh, the evil rich guy had already destroyed the auto dealership. Uh, okay. He burned down the auto body shop. He, you know, he call, he shot a gun in the, the, I keep wanting to call it the titty twister, but that's a different movie. That's it's a different movie. Juice. Yeah. Uh, like he had already established himself as just, oh, he's doing a protection racket because he's going around trying to get money from everybody. And if they don't pay, he's destroying their business. So he's already demonstrated that he's not, manipulative he's a full-blown local super villain. so okay right so he's done all of these things up to the point of dalton killing jimmy right yeah the problem is because he's done all of those things i think there's too much um there's too much collateral damage like he's pissed off the town because that ends up being the thing at the end of the episode where the cops show up and all the people that ben gazara fucked over are all like, we didn't see nothing. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Where if he, if Ben Gazzara didn't do all of those things and Dalton kills Jimmy, then absolutely he could go to the police. And I think Ben Gazzara knew at that point he had gone too far by blowing up this and blowing up that and, you know, and all the damage that he, he caused that it's like, fuck it. It's now, it's like, it's now it's last man standing. I can't pull the strings and be the manipulative villain anymore. It's now a matter of me or him, life or death. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, and another thing I want to mention. So um, we're talking about other characters that maybe have like um, storylines on the cutting room floor. And we talk about the, ha- you know, Denise. Do you remember Denise, Adam? Uh, I Not by name. What, what, De- okay. what did she do? And again, I can't say. So Denise is like, the super big haired blonde with the giant rack. Okay. And I know I, I'm not narrowing things down anymore. No, I was she the one that she wasn't the, the, like the trophy wife of the, the evil rich guy. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I didn't realize that that was two different women. So that's two different women. So when Patrick Swayze first shows up, she makes eyes at Patrick Swayze and she makes multiple, like she goes up to him at one point and says, Hey, why don't we go to back to my place and fuck? And yeah. he knows sells her. 
And then he goes up to her a second, she goes up to him a second time, and the guy drags her out of the bar. And then that's the last time that we see her. Like, her, like I guess that's the resolution of her story. I feel as though there could have been more with that character. See, I thought, because then you see, you see him uh, aggressively dragging the girl out of the bar, right? And you're like, okay, this guy is like an abusive guy. And then the next time you see a hot blonde with like a big rack is doing yoga at evil rich guy's house. And Dalton gives her a look and she looks up and she's got a shiner. See, and that's the that's the reason why, because the guy that drags her out is not Ben Gazzara. When we see her doing the yoga, obviously she has her hair up in a bun, but she looks completely different because she also doesn't have makeup on. So like. I don't know if that's the same person. That's the problem with these people and their hairstyles in the eighties, especially the women like their hairstyles vary so wildly from scene to scene. And that's just the way that people were back then with their hairstyles, that they look like completely different people. I will say you're probably right in that regard, that that is the same person. Because yeah. Cause like Dalton gives her the look and she like has the shiner and she kind of looks away like, you know, ashamed, you know, like, you know, because she's obviously, the victim in this and Dalton sees it as another injustice he has to fix. And that's why I assumed that it was just this girl that like is stuck as property of like the evil rich guy and like his, his employees, you know, that's the vibe I got. Yeah, I think you're right. Again, like I said, it's just a lot of the hot blondes in this, their hairstyles are so different from scene to scene. It's very confusing. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, They'll need to wear name tags or something. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure, like, subsequent reviewings and whatnot, you know, it it would make sense. But um, I guess around this time is when Rich Guy calls up, because obviously Dalton kills the the, the main goon, and the Rich Guy calls up Dalton and is like, you know, either Sam Elliott dies or Hot Doctor dies, pick one. And he's like, oh, if you're not going to pick one, I'll flip a coin. And then that's where, like, that leads to Sam Elliott getting stabbed. First of all, because I didn't remember the ending. Like, I remembered the fight between Patrick Swayze and the the karate goon. I remembered that, but I didn't remember much of what happened after that. So I thought when Sam Elliott shows up staggering into the bar with his ass kicked, like, at first I expected him to, like, slump over and have, like, a knife in his back or something. Like, he's dead there. Or like, oh, he was shot in the back or something like that. But then when he's like, oh, I'm okay, let's go fight. And Dalton's like, no, have a beer. I'm like, oh, maybe Sam Elliott lives and I'm misremembering the movie. And then he ends up getting stabbed because they that was tails, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just want to I just want to kind of bring something back here real quick in regards to Denise, the blonde. OK, OK. So this is why things get fucked up with me is because, OK, so she comes up to Patrick Swayze. She's got the big, giant wall of hair. When we see her again later doing the yoga. Right. And if we're going to pretend that that's the same woman and maybe it is. And like it's one thing to have a black eye, but like she literally looks like she had acid thrown in her face. Right. Yeah. Like, that's what's on her face. And I don't know how time works in this movie. I don't know how much time there is in between the moment where we see her bruised up and when she's dancing naked on the stage at the Double Deuce, but she no longer has the bruise on her face. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know how quickly figure... these things heal. And, like, I still think you're right that it's the same person. Yeah. But I just think that maybe she has, like, super fast healing powers. 
Yeah, I mean, you have to assume, based on the fact that the place was fully renovated inside and out, that maybe he's there a couple months, you know? Because he does fix the culture of, like, the the bouncers and whatnot, you know? Right. Uh, So, I mean, it obviously wasn't a week, you know? But I I don't know the timeline. That's tough. And I'll just throw this out. We've mentioned it a couple times. So you got Emmett with the farm. You got whatever whatever the name of the guy who owns the auto parts store. And you got the car dealership guy, right? Uh There's the gag there that none of them have insurance on their stuff. They're always like, you have insurance, right? (laughs) And first of all, none of them have insurance. And you would think in a place where shit like this happens apparently all the time, either they can't get insurance because they're all uninsurable. Yeah. Or... They're all just stupid, and they're like, oh, well, these things that are happening to everything, everyone else won't happen to me. I'd like to think the evil rich guy, because of the protection racket, has driven all of the local insurance agencies out of the area. Touche. You, know? <laughs> you couldn't go on the internet back then and get a policy. You know? uh, any other thoughts about like the ending or anything like that? No, you know, listen, you get the ending where you mentioned that... Um, Oh, oh, one other thing that I forgot to mention. So on two different uh, occasions in this movie, Patrick Swayze wears a lightweight kimono top as a dress shirt. Yeah, I I, I was going to mention that. It looked like, when I first saw it, I was like, is he wearing a gi top? Yeah. Like it looks like a karate gi. But I think while it had the deep V and the overlapping flaps that like a gi would have when you're looking at it, I feel like around the stomach, it was solid. Like it didn't open. So I feel like it was a t-shirt that was designed to look like a gi, but I could be wrong. And it looked very ridiculous and only like Patrick Swayze could pull that off. That's something that Steven Seagal would wear today. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like 400 pounds, Steven Seagal, like on his way to North Korea would wear that shirt. Yeah. And and we mentioned it before, of course, um, the end of the movie where he goes to Ben Gazzara's house ends up killing Ben Gazzara or no, he's about to kill him. But like, he has like hot doctor and in the back of his head, like, you know, I don't love you because you killed. And then, uh, he goes to let him up and Ben Gazzara is about to shoot him. And then hot doctor is the one that shoots Ben Gazzara. Right. Uh, well, no. So, uh, the evil guy does shoot uh, Dalton in the shoulder towards the beginning of the fight. Right, that's the beginning of the fight. Yeah, and that's that's to kind of justify like how he could, that's like why Orange Cassidy lost a match because he was injured. This is your Dalton lost, was, wasn't was able to easily handle the old man because he had the shoulder injury, you know? Right. Uh, but no, the, the shot, the first shot was from one of the business owners. Oh, that's and, right, and that's all right. They the all, other, yeah, they all come and like blow him away. Yeah, they all chip in. And I don't remember if it was like the the auto shop one or the car dealership or whatever. It was one of them and they all kind of finished off with it. But my question is, did Dalton kill all of the henchmen? Because there was obviously one or two that you saw like puddles of blood in the house. Because, But there was also like Dalton has the distraction of the car that like was able to drive and navigate the driveway, even though it was just a knife in the pedal. Cause that's how cool he is. Uh, but then like the evil, like rich guy is walking around the house and he's looking down he's seeing, okay, there's a henchman out cold or is it dead? And there's another one. There's another one. And then there was the two, you actually saw him fight that got shot. 
you know, but like, did he go around killing every henchman or was he just knocking them out? And I ask you this because I want to know, did, did Funk die off screen? Because you just saw him shooting at the car and then the next scene, he's just like laying down on the ground and I'm like, all right, is he dead? Is he out cold? What happened? Okay. So I will say Dalton definitely attempted to incapacitate people, but when he goes in the house and the one guy pulls the gun on him, right? Yeah. Dalton disarms the guy with the gun. Guy pulls a knife and then Dalton gets the knife off of him, right? And then Dal- Dalton stabs him with the knife, maybe not dead, but then Uncle Rico shows back up to shoot Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze uses that first guy as a human shield. That guy's definitely dead now because he just got shot in the back by Uncle Rico. Then he pulls the knife out of the guy as he dies, throws it up into the balcony on Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico takes the bump out of the balcony. I would assume that Uncle Rico is dead. Sure. No, I know those two are 100% shoot dead. It's just all the other ones like that, that I, you just had the establish it like at the panning shots. You think they're just knocked out? Let's okay. I will say they they're all knocked out. They all I'll say guns. I'll say they're knocked out, but I will also possibly say that the other townspeople that come and put the shots in at Ben Gazzara, maybe there's cutting room footage of them. Like Patrick Sweezy's in the house, and the other goons are like, hey, we should go in there and get him. And then, like, the the townspeople show up. And I think they felt at this point, like, eh, we could just show them laying down and that's enough. Yeah. I'm just wondering because it's like, A, you know, it's like Terry Funk got done dirty. You know, he never really got to have his fight with uh, with Patrick Swayze. Uh, and B, it's like if they are alive, their testimony might not be as glowing as, what's his name, Skeeter or Sco- Scooter or something like that. Because Scooter turned allegiances and that was a cool pop moment at the end when he's like, oh, I didn't see anything, you know, because he was one of the most loyal of the henchmen, the goons. But he, he quickly... He, he, yeah, he saw the tide was turned, and he knew. Yeah. But I was just wondering if, if Terry Funk and some of the other goons were were alive, you know, they might throw a, a wrench in the workings of this this scheme, you know? Yeah. I don't know. You, you bring up a good point. A great movie, though. That's a problem. I shouldn't I, do that. I don't like you bringing up plot holes in this film. Is all <laughs> it's not a plot hole. This movie doesn't have any plot holes. It's just me trying to, uh, trying to like, understand and appreciate more. I wonder if I could find somewhere online the TBS cut of this to show it to my kid. Ooh. <laughs> because I saw this movie when I was his age. Yeah. I mean, I saw it. This came out in 89. Yeah. Uh, I was nine in 89. I might have saw it when I was on VHS. So 90, 91. So 10 or 11. Right. You know? um, and it was the VHS. So I definitely saw the boobs. Right. You know? Maybe the uh. man I am today. <laughs> but I wonder, because like I mentioned before, we, we we had him watch Back to the Future this past week, and he enjoyed it. He he really liked it. Yeah. Um. And again, like I said, less zero racism, zero homophobia. Well, again, the the thing that was on the graffito tag uh, by the payphone, but nothing was said. Nothing homophobic or racist was said in Roadhouse. And I, a movie would... like this during this time frame, like Shocking. it should have been littered with it. Yeah, it should have been almost every other insult from like any delinquent in the bar, you know, be like, oh, you're so pretty, blah, 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 you know, like that type of thing, you know? It, is this the most progressive 80s action movie of all time? This movie might be damn near woke. So, <laughs> uh, Adam, I know I had uh, sent you a suggestion for something later on down the list. Listen, I'm, 
I am my own uh, torturer when it comes to these sort of things, right? Uh, I may have some other suggestions for you down the line to put on the list of things. I would never want to poison the well against myself, but I want to have an enjoyable show. Um, I don't think anything's topping Roadhouse. Yeah, it's tough. Cause this of the is, yeah, okay. of the movies you, uh, you've assigned, this is far and away the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a legitimate blockbuster movie, at least well, based on its time. Based on its time. I mean, it's, we're not talking Star Wars, but it's like a really successful major motion picture. It's actually, yeah. So it actually wasn't. It was oh, actually really? a box office flop. Oh, did it just have like a cult following or yes. a VHS boom or something? It had, a, it had a second life on VHS and HBO and all the other cable stations like that. Yeah. Okay. I stand corrected then. Maybe it just didn't, like, in my mind, it was a hit, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You, It's tough to remember stuff like that that penetrates our consciousness from when we were growing up. That, like, we just think, it's like, oh, yeah, everybody saw this movie. You're like, oh, this is one of the biggest movies of all time, or whatever it is. And then when you do the actual research, you're just like, no, this was, like, um, like a technically a failure. Huh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, like, the, the fact that Terry Funk was in it was my gateway, as I mentioned earlier, into watching just a cheesy 80s movie that I wanted to watch. Sure. And I'll probably, over the next few days, watch Next of Ken, you know? Just, just as a, my just, own time. Yeah. yeah. But, all right. Well, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, can't say whatever the next thing I assign will be anywhere close to being as good. It definitely won't. But, Joe, what are you assigning me for next week? Uh, so we are watching the February 12th, 2000 episode of WCW Saturday, Saturday Night to run down the entire card here. It's the Maestro versus Frankie Lancaster, uh. Elix Skipper and Mark Jindrak against the Power Company. Okay, I like, I like Jindrak. I like Disco Skipper. Inferno versus Barry Horowitz. Uh. Uh, Buzz Kill versus Bobby Eaton. Hmm. Norman Smiley against Shark Boy. Uh, <sighs> Evan Courageous against Adrian Bird. I don't even know who that is. Neither do I. The Mama Lukes versus Idol and Lane, which means somebody could be at ringside. Uh, Bad Place Hall of Famers, Ronald and Donald, taking on the Vianos. Ugh, cut that out. <laughs> and in our main event, Sid Vicious defends the world heavyweight title against. The former dog, Al Green. Oh, main event in any arena. All right. It's a world title match. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, they got they got the a world title match on WCW Saturday night that like seven people watched. Yeah. You know, so the only people who were watching WCW Saturday night were people that were in like an ER waiting room and it was on the TV that they couldn't change it. You know? <laughs> so uh that's impressive to have a world title match on there, regardless of who it's against. So, all right, I guess uh, I don't want to say I'm going to look forward to it, but hey, the the tease of of there possibly being a Miss Hancock is is all that really gets me going for these. Well, listen, there's there's more Miss Hancock to come, I promise. Oh, thank God, thank God. <laughs> all right, Joe, let's get us out of here. Yeah, all right. Hey, thanks everyone for bearing with us. Uh, I don't think I sounded too bad, but I really feel bad. Ah, you sound fine. Oh, I sound fantastic. Um, So yeah, uh, thanks for your continued patronage. Uh, We'll see you guys all here next week for that episode of WCW Saturday Night. Uh, Thanks for your continued support. See you in the Discord. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. 
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.